Hello, and welcome to the Drum History Podcast. I am joined today by Vincent Leaf of Polyphonic Drums, who is restoring and bringing Ludwig Speed King pedals back to life. Vincent, how are you, man? Great. How are you? Good, good, man. Thanks for being here. Um, I wanted to start off just with a quick blurb about, um, we'll get into the history of the Speed King, but what got you into all this? Are you Have you been a Speed King fan your whole life, or uh, what, what was the, the moment that you said, I'm going to... I'm going to get into restoring Speed King pedals. Well, uh, in July of 2014, I was working at a backline company, um, which sucked. So I, I, I quit my job and I was just, I was going to do the business full time. At the time, I was just driving around and buying up drum sets that I thought were cool. And then I would fix them up and, and resell them. Um, and there was a North drum set, which, I'm, you know, what that is with the, with yep. the kind of like, yeah. So there was a double bass, all the toms, North drum set, totally messed up. And I like buying the messed up stuff because I, I really am into, uh, you know, restoration and figuring out like parts and things like that. And with it was basically just a box of other stuff. And in there was a Speed King. So as I was going through it, you know, I found the Speed King, I put it together, I played it. And, you know, it was, if I recall correctly, it was pretty much just, you know, a normal Speed King, pretty messed up, kind of sluggish. So I ended up taking it apart and putting it back together. And then at that point, it was just, I started looking for speed games. <laughs> so yeah. I, I sort of just caught, caught a bug. It's, it's a very interesting pedal to take apart. It can be frustrating. Some of them are easy. Um, I've thrown one through a wall one time. <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're not always easy to do. But so in, that was like the end of 2014. 2015, um, I did 25 that year. So I basically collected up Speed Kings whenever I could find them. I started buying them on eBay and stuff like that. Um, back then, they were basically like, you know, usually like 30 bucks. So it was really, really easy to get them. Um, and yeah, during that time, I basically started working on the mods. Um, and that's, there's, there's four different mods that are um, basically needed on every Speed King. And, um, I kind of came up with them at the time. There was a guy named Jesse out in Colorado. His business was drum mechanics and he was like the king. Um, he started doing it as far as I can tell around 2009. So if he wasn't the first person to do it, he was the first person to do it well. And he came up with, it was, I don't, I don't know what that term is, but basically where you two people come up with the same thing independently. Our mods were very similar. Um, and basically at the end of 2015, you know, I've done 25 of them. I'm kind of interested in it, but it's not at all, you know, what I'm doing. It's just part of it. Yeah. So at the end of 2015, the guy, Jesse makes a Facebook post. I think it was basically saying, Hey, I want to retire. And I'm looking for someone to take over the business. Uh, so for me, that was a no brainer. I mean, I was super interested. I contacted him. He was really excited that somebody who was, younger cared and wanted to do it um so yeah basically um i guess it would have been in the last couple of months of 2015 we were talking back and forth and i just flew out there um with eight speed kings and we made them all in two days he's really really fast so it takes him about two hours start to finish to restore speed king hmm, wow. uh, it I'm, I'm usually well over five, even, even if I'm doing well. So, 
um, he was really fast, but he's, his restorations were mechanically perfect. So he showed me so many different things I had never really known. Cause at this point, 2015, he's been doing 200 a year for seven years. You know, he's done a shitload of speed games at this point. And uh, he had so many little tweaks and adjustments. He had all these specialty tools that he used to do these, uh, these different things. And he just showed me all of it because, you know, he was ready to retire. Um, yeah, 2016, I get some new equipment, set up the shop so that I can, you know, do this level of restoration. And then that's it. I just been doing it ever since then. Like, you know, as many as, as many as people want, I, I kind of, you know, try to meet the demand. Man, that's awesome. It's like uh, two like kindred spirits, kind of like that. You're the two guys who are the Speed King guys. There's other other people, but he was yeah, he was definitely doing it for a similar reason. Nobody gets in. Well, I shouldn't say nobody because a couple people have have done this, but very few people get into Speed Kings to try to make a bunch of money. It's just not the <laughs> you know. There's so many other better ways to make money, um, and it's kind of like you know, it's like dirty. Um, so nobody's doing, nobody's doing it to try to get rich or anything. You have to do it because you are passionate about the pedal. And if there is nobody doing good quality work, repairs, rebuilding, restoration parts for speed Kings, then the world just doesn't really get to have speed Kings anymore, you know, because Ludwig's not doing anything with them. Um, you know, so it's kind of like whenever I'm ready to stop doing it, I'll probably do something very similar where I try to find someone who's, you know, wants to take over. Yeah. So they don't just disappear. Um, but that's a good segue to actually talk about, um, the history of speed Kings. So I know, you know, a lot about it. So why don't you just run us through the, uh, the history. And I think, um, you know, starting back as far as you can go. Cool. Well, um, so if you look up the patent for speaking, you'll see it's invented in 1936 um, by a guy named Walter Huxted, but you never really hear anything else about him because if you look at the patent, it's not exactly the same. It's just the basic concept. And, uh, you know, so he files for the patent in 1936. 1937 is when, you know, WFL is, is forming, you know, their new company. And that was basically their first product as read in the, the Ludwig book, it, you know, where it has some firsthand accounts. He says, you know, 1937, I started WFL. Our first product was the Speed King. And, um, you know, but they, they must have done some, you know, pretty serious development because the 1937 one, which I, ha- I have one right here, is like, it's a lot different than the, the patent is. And it's a really, really nice design, um, especially compared to anything else that was available at the time, you know, in 1937, hmm. um, not to disparage Slingerland too much, but their pedals at the time, they didn't even have bearings in them. It was just kind of metal grinding on metal. So that's uh, obviously it didn't take too, too much. To, I mean, at the time it was by far the best pedal that you could get. Um, yeah. So they, the, the first version is made, you know, for a couple of years, the first version has, W M F Ludwig on the footboard, and shortly after that, th- these ones are pretty much the rarest ones because the actual Ludwig company, I, I think, probably issued a cease and desist. You know, quit using. He wasn't even allowed to use his own name. Yeah. So 
he had to, they had to change the footboard, you know, a little bit later into uh, like the early 40s. You'll see the same exact pedal basically, but it says WFL on it instead. Um, so yeah, that kind of brings us up to the war, you know, with the metal rationing. Yep. And that's kind of the death, death of pedals. There's not really a good way to make a pedal, certainly not a speed king out of wood. I mean, they wouldn't have even tried. Um, but I do have a really interesting one that I date to approximately this period, either right before metal rationing or right afterwards. But it's similar to a speed king. The tower is the same, um, same basic function. But the footboard is like a really brittle brown plastic. Huh. Um, that's crazy. So I, I really had no idea what, what it, I've seen two other ones. Um, one of them didn't have any plastic left, but one of them did. So it, it's, it's, uh, there was enough of them made that you have to wonder why they made them, but I can't think of any practical reason why they, why they would, you know? Yeah. That's um the, the, era of the World War II, which I recommend people listen to episode two with uh, Joe Meckler um, with the L-37 metal rationing um, is just an unbelievable period in time. So um, I'll try and find a, some, if you can send me a picture of that, I can share it and uh, people can check it out and see what you're talking about. Yeah, it's, it's this one is the only one, I, I have one that has pretty much all of the, the footboard intact, which is crazy because, you know, it's something that you step on and it's super thin plastic. So they all just broke apart, obviously, but I don't know. It, it could have been, I call it a prototype, which, you know, probably wasn't a prototype kind of implies that you're, you're trying to improve it in, in some way. But um, yeah, that, that one's a mystery. If anyone knows anything about that, I'd be very interested to, uh, to learn more about it myself. But anyway, so then we got world war two, no pedals being made or, you know, they're wooden pedals. So there's some of those still around, but um, then 1946, you're allowed to use metal again. So that's when there's a really interesting time for the Speed King because they started really rapidly improving it. So I've got one that I also call it a prototype, but you know I've seen three of them before, so certainly not. It's just a, it's just sort of like a intermediary Speed King that has you know, some of the features of the old one and some new features. But um, this one has exter external springs. There's no internal springs. Hmm. So basically what it is is a Speedmaster copy, but it's got like a, a Speed King footboard. And most importantly, it's got the arch rocker. Some people call it the yoke, but um, that's a big part of why a Speed King feels the way that it does. So this is the first one where you see the rocker. Um, and then, you know, over the course of the next, uh, you know, the rest of the 40s, there's a couple different ones where they're adding in different features. They add in the rocker cams, they change the link. Um, and then by the end of the 40s, you know, they're, they're ready to, that's when you go into the new era, as I call it, of Speed Kings, which is the one that everyone would, you know, recognize with the big, the big footboard. Interesting. Yeah. And that's uh, to like, Complete side note, that's how we actually kind of met, is I had a box of just old Speed King parts that I believe they're uh -huh. kind of in that post, uh, like, 50s, 60s era. Um, and that has the bigger footboard, which I know that you said that typically is the most expensive part because that breaks, that that point where it connects down to the uh, the heel plate. 
Um, so yeah. yeah, that's funny. So in, in, in the 19, so we basically got, we got nine different variations that I know of, of the early speed Kings, you know, going through the thirties and the forties. Um, those ones are, those ones are pretty rare by the, by the fifties, you know, they were, they release, you know, basically the final version, they make some really important changes to it. So the, the rocker gets even more exaggerated. So it's sort of, you know, even more arched out and, um, they add a flat spring to it, which is basically keeps the link uh, where it needs to be. It, it's, it's like a little adjustment on there, but it's actually a really important piece right at the end of the pedal. That's why I bought that box of parts for me, because hmm. even though your footboards are broken, the flat springs were intact. So the flat spring is really important. That, that first showed up in 1951-ish. Um, and then um, at that point, they just started waiting to see what kind of stuff broke, basically, I think, because the next you know, 50 years, the speaking remains pretty much the same minor changes that sort of correspond with the times. So like the casting, for example, on the, on the original ones doesn't have very much reinforcing on the bottom. So that, that would break. And then later versions, they add reinforcing. Um, and then, yeah, they, so 1955, Ludwig gets their name back but they don't change the footboard yet because that's a really expensive thing to do, you know, to have a new die made. So all the way through up until 1968, all the footboards say WFL, even though, you know, it was the Ludwig company at that point. And they changed some other parts. It's so like the grease caps used to say WFL, you know, starting in um, 1957-ish they start to say Ludwig instead. So they, they transferred over the stuff they could, but um, yeah. So 1968, you get the first Ludwig speed King. And then at that point, you know, it's, it's after Ringo. So drums are much more popular. Um, the new design is just, it's a lot better. Um, it's, it's reinforced so that it's stronger. It's also, in my opinion, it just looks a little cooler. The, um, you know, the, the writing is raised up on the WFL one. So the more you step on it, the more it just wears away yeah. where it's sort of indented on the, the Ludwig one, you know, it's a lot harder to wear through it. So they're a lot more durable. Um, yeah, in the seventies, you know, people started playing rock music, um, and they needed to reinforce the power even more. So you'll, so you'll see the castings, uh, get a little bit beefier at that point. They changed the connecting link because the original ones, you can almost bend them by hand. Um, so they changed the connecting link to a stronger one. Um, and then in the eighties, you have another big change. There's these two tabs that basically dictate how, how far away from the bass drum head, the pedal will sit. So as bass drum hoops got wider, the tab on their pedals got shorter. So there's basically, there's basically two different, two main different versions of speed kings, either a long tab or a short tab. The long tab is going to sit significantly farther back, almost half an inch farther back from, from the bass drum head. So in the eighties, everything becomes a short tab. Um, uh, later in the eighties, they upgrade the link again to the, to the final one. And that one's super heavy duty. It's almost twice as thick as the original one. Um, and also slightly shorter. So, by the time they get into the 80s and the 90s, they're actually making a really good pedal, you know, because they spent these decades troubleshooting all the issues that people are reporting on them, you know? 
It seems like, though, that that was past the kind of, like, the prime of the, like, kind of beautiful old Ludwig Speed King. Absolutely, yeah. And, and Ludwig realizes this, too. Um, yeah, so they moved to Monroe in the mid-'80s. Um, but, you know, there, there's, their pedal still, you know, still says Ludwig Chicago. Uh, in the late-'90s is when, uh, I mean, for lack of a nicer term, it's kind of like the decline mm-hmm. of the Speed King. That's the ones that have the black powder-coated, um, you know, tower and floor plate. And the first ones were, were not bad at all, but around 2004 is when they started kind of um, making sacrifices in the quality of the parts. Um, you also got to remember, they're using the same castings that were made in the 60s. You know, these castings are really old, so they become harder and harder to work with. Um, but yeah, so they, they changed, changed some of those things up. Um, they, they changed the rocker, which was like a really big hit because they changed it to a metric screw, which I don't know if the casting quality declined, but those ones strip out so much more often. They crack much more often. So, something happened around that time period where the quality of that part went down a lot. And, um, you know, it's a crucial part of the whole, the whole process. Um, a little bit later, they switched the bearings to more of a modern bearing. And again, they just they just fall apart in your hands. They're really, really cheap bearing. I, I guess they were trying to cut costs to make it because during this time, not only is the, the cost of producing them going up, you know, to produce them correctly, but the popularity is going down. You know, at this point, you've got you know, DW9000 and, you know, so many other pedals that, that people, you know, like a lot better um, is kind of an unwinnable situation for Ludwig. But to give them credit, they really did try a lot of things during this time period to try to, to fix the issues, basically. Um, so you'll see they put some nylon, um, nylon bushings in there in spots where there was originally metal on metal um but then um let's say 2007 2008 ish they get rid of the flat spring which if you remember i mentioned earlier was a big part of why the speed game feels and functions the way it does so i guess they just couldn't get the part anymore and you know ones that are made after 2007 just don't have a flat spring at all um which causes all kinds of problems um Finally, the, like the, the final thing that happened was that they changed the rocker cams uh, and made them so that they had no tabs that would, that would keep everything in line. So at that point, you know, the tower sort of just drifts apart. And once it gets offset enough, it just puts pressure on it and cracks the, the rocker. I've seen it happen like, you know, a dozen times. It's just like a fatal flaw, basically. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the that, that's kind of the death of Speed Kings. I mean, nowadays too, you, it's all like you read reviews of pedals like that, and then you'll read and it'll say like this is falling apart on me, um, and then people just aren't going to buy them. Obviously, like why would someone buy something oh, yeah. without? I mean, obviously it's got the heritage, but I would personally, being like a guy who likes to play a DW five thousand, uh, I would buy it just because I have an old Ludwig kit and I want to have kind of a modern version of the original pedal. But besides that. I can't see the too much of a, a like I wouldn't be drawn to buy a new Speed King as compared to something that's 
designed with like just modern specifications right out yeah. of, right out of the gate. Especially if people are reporting a bunch of problems with the new ones. And at the time, they got kind of a bad. Because I remember when this was happening, you know, because I I started getting into speaking about this time. Uh, everyone was saying, "Oh, the new ones are made in China. They're crap." And and realistically, all the parts were were well, some of the parts were probably made in China, but not many of them actually. Most of the parts were still the same castings, the same type of parts as speaking. It had its whole its whole history. So once once people got a hold of the oh, it's made in China, it's crap thing. It, it really just ran with it. <laughs> yeah, and that so it it all officially ended. You said in two thousand fourteen, correct? That that's when Ludwig announced, you know, hey, we're throwing in the hat, we can't make it. And um, what I heard from you know a couple of different reputable sources was that it was just a uh, you know they wanted to keep making it, but they just couldn't justify it financially. The, the cost to you know they would have to raise the price of it up to the point where they knew it was it wasn't worth it. Yeah, and but it's kind of cool though, because like I I almost see it as like uh, like art is worth more after the artist is dead. So for you, it's like <laughs> it's almost got more value to it because you're the guy now actually bringing the old ones back to life. And um, I've posted some stuff of yours on on uh, like my Instagram and Facebook for Drum History, and um, it's just like to see the box of just decrepit old parts that I had and then what you can do with them is unbelievable. <laughs> and it's, it feels cooler than knowing it's the real deal stuff from the actual day, which now that I know that mine saying Ludwig means that it's post 1968, right? Correct. Okay, cool. Well, that's good to know. And now yeah. people can date stuff if, uh, if they have it, um, out there. So, but, uh, okay. So that's awesome. Yeah. I, I've, I've identified 31 different versions of, of speak of speed kings um you know of, of like the the new era speaking because there's a, there's so many little changes that happen some of them were, were really subtle obviously and, um but for me it's all part of a, a bigger picture a lot of people that send me in their pedals to restoration really really care that all of the parts are from the correct era because it's it's you know easy to use a later part uh, you know, it's easier to easier to find, um, but yeah, a lot of people do actually care about the, the history, or a lot of people want, you know, let's say I have a 1968 drum set, I want a 1968 Speed King, so it's cool to be able to do that for for that you know that type of customer as well. Yeah, I think your attention to detail and uh, uh, kind of uh, meticulous uh, focus is really kind of what's the word is spreading about that. And like you said, you get a 1968 drum set, you want the pedal from 1968. You don't want it to be from 1994 and it looks like it, but um, yeah. yeah. So, okay, one thing that I want to jump to now um, that I didn't know about, I knew I'd heard it before and we briefly talked about it, but the famous squeak that is usually uh, people think of with Led Zeppelin. And I've actually, working in a studio as an audio engineer, I've been recording drums of an old Yamaha pedal where we're like, man, that's squeaking. Let's try and switch it out or do something. And then it, it kind of brought up the discussion of, well, it's like, since I've been loving you with Zeppelin, I didn't realize that until doing my research for talking with you today, that that is a known thing. It is the Speed King squeak.
yeah, those, if you hear a squeak, it's probably a speaking because it's a very unique, uh, high pitched, almost like a bird chirping. Um, it, it, all of them are a little different. There's several different places that create that squeak. So part of the restoration process, you know, I try to do as little as I, as possible to, to these pedals. I want to preserve the originality. Um, but certain points, you've just got to modify it. So, you know, there's, there's four spots that you can modify. It gets, it gets rid of all the squeaks. Um, occasionally I'll get someone who calls me and they say they want the squeak. They'll say, can you give me a pedal that has a squeak? And yeah, I can, I can get you one that has a squeak, you know, but it's eventually the, the squeaking is metal, dry metal rubbing against other dry metal. Yeah. <laughs> so that's not good. Good. Obviously. Um, I would say the bigger issue beyond the squeak is as they wear around the heel plate. Um, I don't know if you'll be able to hear this, but yeah, yeah. They get really rattly, and that's a side-to-side -side movement. So that's the main thing that needs to be fixed on a speaking. Once you fix that, the whole pedal becomes more stable. It becomes quieter, and you're on the path to actually, um, you know, having a nice pedal that can be played in the studio or whatever you want to do with it, you know, and it won't make noise. That's what 99% of people want out of the speaking. You know, they want all the old problems to be fixed while still looking and and feeling the same as an old one. Yeah, it's almost cool that it, like, yes, it lives in infamy as John Bonham, the sound of his, like, on a recording. But nowadays, <laughs> like, if you've got three mics on your kick drum or something, you're going to hear it a lot. And it's kind of like a oh, thing yeah. where it's it's cool and it's kitschy and it's awesome to hear it again on, like, I think the f most famous would probably be, and you would know better than me, but since I've been loving you, it's such an open riff with the big bass drum hit. It's different when you're recording now and people are like, okay, can we get rid of that? Um, but yeah, man, I had no idea that that was like a, a thing. But that's, again, the cool thing about drum history is you find that stuff out. That's the main thing that people like to share with me is um, their, their squeaking stories. And I, I, I love hearing them. If, if anybody ever wants to call me and uh, cause I just work on Speed Kings all day, basically. If anyone ever wants to call me and talk about Speed Kings, you know, I got my Bluetooth headphones. I'll sit there and listen to stories, you know, while, while I'm working. But, you know, yeah, I mean, everyone has a Speed King story, you know, and a lot of them are wrapped up in the shortcomings of, of the pedal. But, you know, it's a nostalgic thing as well. A, a lot of my customers, this is changing as I've started to move on to Instagram more, but a lot of my customers are, are people who played this pedal as a kid and now they want it again. You know, they either have their original pedal or they want to get one that was like it. Um, but yeah, there's, there's a lot of nostalgia wrapped up in it as well. Are people sending you stuff saying, is it, is it more like, hey, I've got, um, I've got this old pedal, I want it fixed up? Or like, how do people, like if I wanted to get a pedal from you, how would, what would the process be? So what the process has been recently, I either get a call or an email or a Facebook message, which that's the hard part of, of doing this is, is trying to catch all the messages. If, if you ever contact me and I don't respond, just call me. I mean, that's the best way to, to, to get a hold of me. But usually someone calls me, they tell me what their problem is. You know, I talked to somebody earlier this week who has one of the Monroe pedals we talked about, and it has no flat spring. Um, you know, the T-screw was stuck on it and just wasn't moving at all. And he was sort of like, well, what can be done? You know, I've got this Speed King. And then, you know, I basically just tell people, send it in to me. I'll take a look at it. When I get it, I'll call them. And so we kind of just worked through it. You know, I, I sat there, I took the part, I was like, all right, this can be fixed, this can't, you know, we can add this. And um, 
yeah, just sort of the, the goal most people have is I have this speaking, I want to get it working again. And um, as far as parts, like all the parts that you send me, I'll just use those in restoration. So like this guy, you know, his pedal had no flat spring. You sent me one that was broken, but it had the flat spring. There's this flat spring, <laughs> you know, it kind of, you almost just the same way people view old cars, you yeah. know, like if you've got a bunch of old cars sitting around, maybe you can't use, maybe they can't be fixed up, but you can certainly use the parts to fix up another one. That's kind of the, the spirit of it, you know? Well, that's cool. And that almost is like, I like that knowing that like, this I got that at an auction, a music store closed, and it was just like people going in there, losing their minds, just buying everything for relatively <laughs> cheap, and um, leaving just saying like I think like this. None of this puts together. I think it what I'm sending you equals like two pedals. Obviously, the foot plate is broken, but um, it, it's cool that that's going to create a new pedal for someone else, and those kind of like you know those parts are being Frankenstein together to. Uh, yeah to build something new so well um vincent let's tell people where they can find you and all that good stuff and i know that you are going through kind of a change so uh i don't know if you want to announce that to the world correct yes so in in 2019 the business name is going to change it's going to be vitalizer drums so i'm i'll change over all the domain names and social media over the course of the next month um but i've been branding all my pedals that way for like the last six months. So I made the decision a while ago, but um, yeah. And then this year, you know, I'll hit all of the drum shows, Delaware and Connecticut and Chicago. And uh, yeah, so Vitalizer is gonna be, I'm just leaning into it. I'm leaning into Speed King. So for 2019, you know, that's all I'm, all I'm doing. All I'm gonna focus on is just making Speed King. So that's gonna be the new brand, uh, Vitalizer Drums, vitalizerdrums.com, um, you know, the previous, name is polyphonic drums so there'll be a little bit of a crossover but yeah go to the website um and call me yeah if you have speed king stuff if you have one you want to get fixed up if you have one you want to sell if you got a box of broken parts you got a auction you know all of those things uh all those things work Awesome. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's awesome. I'll hopefully be at the uh, at least the Chicago show this year. I, I missed it last year, but um... the, the the Chicago show is the Chicago show is really really wonderful. There's just there's so many people there. I mean, it seems like it goes so fast because there's so many people. Um, everyone's super friendly. Everyone's got kind of their own thing, you know. So Joey Boom's got his his booth. It's full of World War II era drums, and he's just sitting there talking about them the whole show, you know, and people. You, like the little crowds form and it, it, it's 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 pretty awesome that's cool this is my first year going in 2018 it's it's it's, it's really fun well cool man so um let's see is there anything else you want to uh mention about speed king any any cool stories or any you know anything in the pipeline that you're excited about let's see so um i told you jesse you know he did 200 pedals a year for seven years he was like a factory I mean, it, it was it was crazy when we when when I went there and we were doing it. He was doing it so fast. I do it much differently. I basically wake up in the morning. Here's my pedal. I'm going to restore today, and I just go into my shop and I work on it until it's done. I mean, one of them took me nine hours a couple of weeks ago, and that's ridiculous, obviously. But I've only made 200 pedals, you know, since the beginning of 2016. But I'm trying to get a little bit faster. Um, I want to continually improve the quality, um, you know, and do it as respectfully as possible, you know? So this past year I've been really pushing relic pedals, which are 
um, you know, the ones that Jesse made and the way that most restorations are done is you strip all the paint off in some way and then you repaint it, you know, whatever, usually gray. But if you look at the original paint on some of these, it's, it's beautiful, you know, and a lot of it has survived. So what I want to do is basically retain that original paint. Um, that's, that's, that's the product I'm going to be pushing in 2019 is, is the relic speaking. That's cool. And yeah, I've seen those and it feels like you're buying a pedal from, let's say, dating all the way back to 1937. You don't want it to look brand new. It's got a little patina to it. So that's, no. that's awesome. I, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of trying to um, manipulate the market a little bit to, to, to get people to, to want this a little bit more because it, it, it does look really cool to see one, even if the paint's like pretty messed up. And all of them, if you look, they have, they usually have wear from people's shoe. So some, from somebody's shoe rubbing up against it, you'll see like a little divot in it. And a lot of that's lost if you restore it because, you know, you kind of strip it off and paint over it or whatever. It's not as noticeable. But yeah, if, if you look at Speed Kings, look at the, look at the upright towers, you'll usually see a shoe, some shoe wear. So, you know, this most recent one I did, it's got like really pronounced shoe wear on it and it's still on there. And this pedal, you know, will last for another 50 years or whatever with the original shoe wear on it as well as you know the next 50 years of shoe wear it's kind of cool that is cool and you like it makes me think of some guy wearing like a tuxedo and like wingtips playing jazz you you got to be playing completely flat-footed and with your foot really far up <laughs> for, for that to happen but yeah you're, you're definitely right well, cool. Vincent, I appreciate you being here, man. Um, everyone heard it here first. Polyphonic Drums in 2019 is turning into Vitalizer Drums, where you can get all of your Correct. updated and completely refurbished Speed Kings uh, of all the eras of Speed Kings. Do you do a lot of new ones? Do you get like ones from like 1995? I actually, here's another public service announcement, because people don't usually know a lot of customers will ask me, well, what should I look for? They'll buy their speed gang on eBay and then just have it sent directly to me to save a little bit of money. Um, but yeah, look for the ones from the 80s and the 90s are actually the best ones because they all need to be fixed. Um, in the 80s and the 90s, they really kind of, that, that's the golden era of them, to be honest, you know, because they're, they're continually trying to improve it. All the ones from the 80s, um, they're 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 really nice. Look, look for those ones. Cool. That's like a, a pro tip right there because I would think, oh, I want mm -hmm. one from 1950 because it's old and it's cool and it's Speed Kings and Ringo is about to come out. But it, it's going to sit a little bit farther away from the drum head, so you got you got to think about that as well. With Speed King, it's it's a really unique feeling pedal, so you have to get used to it. And an older one's going to feel significantly different than one from the 80s. So I personally like it to be about as close as it can be. I like playing the ones from the 80s because you can get it, you put it as close as it can be and then you back it off a little bit um, and then, you know, just tighten it tighten it down. I use the uh, bass drum hoop protector from Tackle Instrument Supply. Mm -hmm. It's like the perfect size because a lot of people have trouble with them moving side to side on the, on the bass drum hoop. But if you just put, you know, that little leather protector on there, it really doesn't move at all. Um, but yeah, you back it off a little bit so that the rocker's not hitting the bass drum ahead, and you get just like a really, really amazing response out of it. You know, it's so it's so close. Well, that's awesome. That's a good tip from the uh, from the master himself. Um, 
Cool. Well, Vincent, man, I appreciate you being here. I think uh, this is a ton of good information for people, and I, I really recommend that everyone just, you know, for starters, go over to your Instagram page, which would be Polyphonic Drums at the moment, but soon to be Vitalizer Drums um, after 2019. So, Vincent, thank you for being here, my friend. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. If you like this podcast, find me on social media at Drum History and please share, rate, and leave a review. And let me know topics that you would like to learn about in the future. Until next time, keep on learning. This is a Gwyn Sound Podcast. <laughs>